Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to discuss the closing of Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built. A lot of memorabilia being sold already. You can find it online, and some of it's pretty darn lucrative. We'll discuss that. We'll also discuss just the the way that the Yankees handled the final game and the closing of the stadium, who was there, who wasn't there. Interesting thoughts and opinions on that. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, a very recognizable name, Brandi Chastain. She's the former U.S. women's Soccer star, you may remember her from her 1999 penalty kick that won the World Cup for Team USA versus China. She ripped off her shirt and had that famous Nike bra on underneath. The Nike sports bra went on to become a big seller. She's got some interesting things going on with ING in conjunction with the 2008 ING New York City Marathon. We'll discuss those with her. That's coming up in segment four couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, you know, I had the chance to meet Brandy Chastain before, but I'm a big fan of hers. And if you look back to 1999 and the impact that the U.S. Women's World Cup team had on opening doors for women. You know, we remember the doors that Billie Jean King opened in 1972, and we know all about Title IX, but the Women's World Cup team really took ownership in promoting their sport. They were cooperative with the media, and I think it's really impacted things today. Like we see in Wimbledon, the prize money is equal for the women and the men. Well, Billie Jean King opened up doors for women athletes, but Brandy Chastain opened up doors for the marketing of women's, you know, of women athletes. Mia Hamm, Brandy Chastain, obviously huge marketers coming out of that thing, and so I really think that they took the marketing to another level. Yeah, I mean, sponsors aren't afraid to put money behind women's sports now, and. 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. We didn't have the WNBA. There's going to be a new women's pro soccer league that's going to be starting play in April of 2009 that we'll discuss with Brandy. But there's a lot of things going on in women's sports that weren't happening before the Women's World Cup team with Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain came along. And we'll talk about that with Brandy Chastain. Coming up next, headlines. Lots of headlines this week, including... Major League Baseball playoffs get ready to start. We've got some thoughts on that. I know Nathan is excited about his Cubs. Sports Business Radio headlines coming up next. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the house that Ruth built, Yankee Stadium, closed its doors this week. We'll have plenty on this story in our next segment. Headline number two, Major League Baseball playoffs start this week, and the league has to be happy with the big draws like the Chicago Cubs, the Boston Red Sox, the Los Angeles Dodgers, amongst the teams that will likely be headed to the postseason. Nathan, I'll tell you what, though. The most astonishing story in baseball in the last 10 years, in my mind, is the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a team that lost, I believe, 96 games last year, and they're going to have one of the best records in baseball. First team since the Braves in 1991 to have the worst record in baseball one year and the very next year make the playoffs. They've got a $43 million payroll. They had to compete in a division with the Yankees and the Red Sox, the two highest payrolls in baseball. It's really astonishing what they've done with so little. Well, and the the turnout at those games has been terrible this year. You'd think with the team that's had so much success on the field going to the playoffs, taking a shot at the World Series maybe, people would be out there watching, but they have one of the worst attendances in baseball this season. Well, but the good news is is that this past week, tickets went on sale for the playoff games, and they sold out in a matter of hours. So people are finally jumping on the bandwagon. Fair weather fans. Exactly. But, you know, they had to get on eventually. I've been to Tropicana Field. It's not a good place to watch a baseball game. They do have very good ice cream, though. But what I was going to say is that, you know, essentially the D-Rays, or not the D-Rays, just the Rays now, this is like uh, you know you and me starting a business and us going up against the Ni- the likes of Nike and like beating Nike in some business deal. I mean, again, forty three million dollars. The Yankees had a payroll of two hundred million dollars. The Yankees should be ashamed of themselves. I think Brian Cashman should be probably fired from his job. I mean, he's had plenty of opportunities, and when you have th- those resources and that kind of a payroll, and you don't make the playoffs, and you Let a team that has a $43 million payroll make the playoffs? That's inexcusable. Quickly, Nathan, give me your predictions for who's going to play in the World Series. I got the Windy City Showdown. Chicago White Sox against the Chicago Cubs. Wow. Okay, I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Angels and... The Chicago Cubs. I think the Cubs. Who's the prediction to win it, Brian? The Cubs or the Angels? You know, is I guess the Cubs year. I'd like to see the Cubs win it, but I think the Angels are, are just too strong from uh, top to bottom. But we'll see. I mean, you know, again, the thing is, this is wide open. There's some big market teams, even though the Yankees aren't going to be in the mix. You know, you've got two LA teams probably playing, two Chicago teams possibly playing, Boston. Major League Baseball has to be loving the way the playoffs are laying out. Our next headline NBC earned a 3.3 overnight Nielsen rating for Sunday's Ryder Cup telecast, which saw the U.S. defeat Europe 16.5 to 11.5 to claim the cup for the first time in nine years. The ratings were up 22.2% from the Sunday telecast in 2006 when the U.S. was defeated 18.5 to 9.5. Now, Nathan, 
Tiger Woods didn't play in this, and we thought the ratings might be down, but fresh faces like Boo Weekly and Anthony Kim, I think, engaged the viewers and got people to tune in. Well, yeah, I sat down and watched the, enti- uh, the entire Ryder Cup on Saturday and Sunday, and I think that this was actually great for golf. We talked about the Tiger factor for the last couple weeks, but you really got a sense. You got to know Boo Weekly. You got to know Kim, and I fell in love with these two golfers, and certainly moving forward, they will be two guys that I root for, maybe even more so than Phil Mickelson. Well, and they seem like more of a team than a collection of superstars. And, you know, we've seen that in many other sports, and it just seemed to pan out this time. And, you know, go onto my blog, sportsbusinessradio.com, and see Boo Weekly doing his best Happy Gilmore imitation. Doing the bull dance, feeling the flow. It was great. And, uh, you know, just to see their personalities come out and how excited they were. Kenny Perry, you know, a guy who uh, has had ups and downs on the PGA Tour, made this team, said it was the highlight of his career. He was nearly in tears. You could see how important this was to him, and that was really cool. Our next headline, Nike has pulled out of the Olympic swimwear market. This according to our friend Darren Ravel at CNBC. Sources said that Nike told college swim coaches with whom they have contracts that the company would no longer be developing the latest and greatest for championship swimmers. Nike's biggest disappointment might have been the fact that it couldn't compete with the Speedo Fat Skin LZR Racer. That was a suit that, obviously, Nathan, made a big difference in some of the times in the Olympics, and it got a lot of accolades, and I think Nike just kind of figured out, look, we can't compete with this. It's best that we put our money and our resources into other sports and uh, other categories. Well, it squelches the Michael Phelps factor. There was some rumors circulating that Nike would go after Michael Phelps, and certainly that's not going to be the case now, which is unfortunate, I think. Nike always has a tendency to go after Olympic champions like Michael Phelps. I think he would have been a great face for Nike, so uh, he'll be with someone else, probably Speedo. On that note, Premier Management Group's Evan Morgenstein said Nike's move is the death of American elite swimming as we know it. He said some swimmers make 95% of their income in non-Olympic years from these apparel deals if one of only three major players is out and the market leader, Speedo, feels it's in a position where they don't have to pay much as long as they have the best suit. The financial model that most Olympic swimmers have lived by since 2000 is over. That is very, very true. So we'll see. How do people like uh, the non-Michael Phelps swimmer, how do they stay employed or profitable during non-Olympic years. Our next headline, this is a big one. General Motors will not spend any money advertising during the next Super Bowl in February. That's another belt-tightening move and marketing cutback that has seen the beleaguered automaker already scrap ads during last week's Emmy Awards and the Academy Awards next February. TNS Media Intelligence reported that over the past 15 years, GM has spent $77.1 million advertising during the Super Bowl behind only Anheuser-Busch and PepsiCo. Now, Nathan, some people would say, well, GM doesn't really have a car that's coming out around the time of the Super Bowl. I look at this differently. We talked about this on the show last week. Uh, Look at Wall Street right now. Company after company is crumbling before our eyes, and the first place they're going to start cutting is in sponsorships. You cut where you don't really have to spend, and a lot of these sports sponsorships, especially tennis, golf, uh, naming rights, these are things that you do if you have the money, but you don't do if you don't have the money. And right now, 
the sports world, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, I completely agree. And people that say it's because they don't have anything new coming out, that's ridiculous because Budweiser, Bud Light have been doing it for years, and it's the same exact beer. I think the Super Bowl ads are just a brand recognition for GM, PepsiCo, Budweiser. So uh, it's not really a surprise to me, though, with the car market the way it is. Well, speaking of Super Bowl ads, they're almost sold out. NBC has the game this February. NBC had the Olympics. They're making money hand over fist with advertising. So if a sponsor like GM decides they don't want to advertise, NBC does have other people, I guess, that are in line. And it could cost advertisers $3 million for a 30-second spot. You may remember last year was the record $2.7 million. It seems to go up every year. NBC is getting around $3 million right now for a 30-second spot. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the closing of historic Yankee Stadium Lots of different layers. We'll talk about the last game at Yankee Stadium, who was there, who wasn't there. We'll also talk about some of the memorabilia that's being hawked already online, what it is and how you may be able to get a piece of that. Then coming up in segment four, Brandy Chastain, former soccer star. She'll join us to talk about some of the things that she's doing with the ING 2008 New York City Marathon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back and we are going to talk about the closing of historic Yankee Stadium in this segment. And Nathan, there are several layers to this. And I want to start by talking about the actual final game at Yankee Stadium last, I believe it was Sunday night. And, you know, it's interesting to see how the Yankees... Uh, orchestrated all of this. You know, it it felt more like an old-timer's day than it did a tribute to the ballpark. And I guess that was one of my problems. I mean, Yankee Stadium has so many amazing moments, whether it was uh, a Muhammad Ali-Ken Norton fight or a Billy Joel concert or Don Larson's perfect game. I mean, obviously, it's known mostly for the great Yankee moments. But Yankee Stadium is a historic venue. Three visits by the Pope. Um, and I didn't think that they did a good enough job of kind of reliving the best Yankee Stadium moments and honoring Yankee Stadium. It was more about honoring old-timers. And, look, I understand, again, that some of the Yankees that were there are part of what made Yankee Stadium Yankee Stadium, but um, I just felt it was a little bit uh, overproduced. And then the other thing is, you know, there were a few people who were kind of uh, suspicious by their absence. Number one is there was no mention at all of Joe Torre. 
which a lot of people would argue that Joe Torre was the greatest manager in Yankees history and definitely one of the most beloved managers in Yankees history. He's now managing the Dodgers, and for them to not even have any kind of a, a video message or any mention at all of Joe Torre, I thought was kind of a slap in the face to Joe Torre. The other thing is, how about no mention of Roger Clemens, who helped lead them to two world championships, and you got guys like Giambi and Pettit and other people who were in the Mitchell Report who were there, but no mention of Roger Clemens. Even the Giants have mentioned Barry Bonds in some of their uh, festivities since Bonds hasn't been playing baseball, but it was like Roger Clemens never wore pinstripes, and I thought it was really interesting that they completely excluded him from any mention on Sunday night. Well, it just goes to show you how arrogant the Yankees are and and the Steinbrenner family. I mean, regardless of whether Clements is innocent or guilty, he did so much to help that organization, as did Joe Torre. What was he, 12 for 12 as a Yankees manager? You know, the it's funny, the Yankees' response to not mentioning Roger Clements was they didn't, they said that they did not want the last memory of Roger Clements to be booze coming from the crowd in Yankee Stadium, which I find a complete... It's just ridiculous because you're right. Andy Pettit was mentioned. Giambi mentioned. They did apologize for taking steroids, but Clements denies it. And if he really didn't take steroids, he deserves to be honored. Well, but the one thing I will say, and we've said this repeatedly, you know, again, if you're guilty of something, you've got to be as transparent as ever. Giambi apologized. Pettit apologized. Knobloch semi-apologized. So these guys were there. They were welcomed for the, the festivities. Clemens hasn't apologized. He vehemently denies anything. Maybe he is innocent. I don't know. But, again, I thought it was a little odd that the Yankees made no mention of him. They didn't even bring his name up once. But the the slap in the face was the uh, not mentioning Joe Torre. And isn't it ironic, Nathan, that Joe Torre goes to the Dodgers. He has them headed to the postseason. And the Yankees, with a $200 million payroll, missing the playoffs for the first time in, I think you said, 12 years, 13 years. Look. If Joe Torre was still there, there's a good chance the Yankees would would still be in the playoffs and have that streak alive. Well, I think it's bittersweet. I think I like to laugh at the fact that Joe Torre is now in the playoffs with the Dodgers, but there's a part of me as just a baseball fan that the Yankees, their last year at Yankee Stadium, are not in the playoffs. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud because of all my ill feelings for the Yankees organization, but just to go out like that for such a historic venue kind of breaks my heart as a sports fan. You know, i got to add something really quickly. Anyone who ever watched Michael Jordan knows how competitive he was, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. As I watched A-Rod the other night smiling and posing for the cameras and running around the field like a, a kid, It just didn't strike me as a guy who was disappointed that he wasn't going to the postseason. And the real champions and competitors, it just eats at them when they lose and when they're not going to the postseason. And I just was struck by that. Maybe it has nothing to do with anything, but I thought that was something that I definitely noticed with A-Rod. Now, let's talk about some other things here with this. You know, I wrote on my blog this week that it's just sad to me that Yankee Stadium, which I believe opened in 1923... Um, is being torn down. And, yes, they're probably going to put a field of some sort there for the kids. It's not going to be a parking lot. But um, it's sad to me. There are certain venues in the United States, and I mentioned them, Lambeau Field, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, Yankee Stadium, you know, the old Boston Garden where the Celtics played. There are just some venues that it's really hard if they're ever torn down. And 
I understand why the Yankees are doing this. I mean, we're a sports business show here. The Yankees are going to make substantially more money with more revenue streams in a new stadium. It's going to be like a a Four Seasons or a Ritz-Carlton where you go watch a baseball game. And there's going to be suites, much better food options. I mean, let's say it. Yankee Stadium as it exists now is not a modern ballpark, and it's not up to New York standards. So I see why they're doing this, but it's just sad because – you think of all the ghosts that are running through there, and I read things about, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Thurman Munson, one of my favorite players who was tragically killed in a plane crash, I believe it was 1976 or 77, to this day, the the Yankees have maintained his locker in the locker room. His catcher's mask is still there. His jersey is still there. It's gone untouched for, what, the last 30 years. Well, now... That's not moving over to the new Yankee Stadium. So just little things like that. You wonder how they're going to replicate the uh, statues, you know, Monument Valley, as they call it, in the outfield. I remember Roger Clemens always paying a visit to that before he went on to the mound. And, you know, I wonder, is it going to have the same sense of history in the new spanking new ballpark? Well, you know, it's unfortunate, like you mentioned. I mean, you go to Europe— and you go all over the world and you see these coliseums, you see these these artifacts, and the way that it is in the U.S. is if it's not working anymore, let's tear it down. And what's unfortunate is three, four hundred years from now, when people are traveling around the United States, these are some of the the, the few United States you know, iconic venues that you could go see, but there's none of them left. I mean, every time they're going to – Wrigley Field, Lambeau Field, I mean, let's face it, eventually when those fields are outdated, it is very likely, especially with the location of Wrigley being where it is, that they'll just rip that down and build another ballpark, and that's unfortunate. Now, one of the other storylines here is that items from Yankee Stadium – I mean, we saw on TV people gathering dirt from the mound, people grabbing some of the grass from the outfield. Uh, There were people arrested – because they were taking things from the stadium. And George Steinbrenner's representatives have said that they're going to hire full-time security. Yankee Stadium will not be torn down or dismantled until next summer. So there's a long time between now and then where looters, vandals, people like that may come and say, hey, I want to get a piece of Yankee Stadium history and go sell it online or just keep it for myself. Listen to some of these prices already. So... A 30 by 18 inch piece of center field scoreboard, and um, what else? There, there's something else that they're. There's a 10 by 10 hunk of blue carpet with the right. Yankees logo on it from the clubhouse. There's also five glass, like 31 by 60 inch shower stall doors that are going for boatloads of money. I mean, look at the, uh, the the scoreboard. If you want a 30 by 18 inch piece of the scoreboard, it is $699. Which I actually think is a decent deal. I think that's a deal. The 10 by 10 foot hunk of blue carpet with the Yankees logo from the clubhouse, $10,000. There's people that will probably pay that, but $10,000, that's a lot of money. Then you've got the 31, uh, also for sale are the five glass 31 by 60 inch shower stall doors from the clubhouse with the Yankee logo. See, I'd buy that. Those are 2000 a piece. If I'm going to spend thousands <laughs> of dollars, I'm going to buy that over the, the $10,000 uh, you know, blue piece of carpet. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's just little things. I mean, you know... Like Don Larson, who pitched a perfect game in Yankee Stadium. I, you, know, you see him on TV grabbing dirt from the mound, and you wonder, is he keeping this for himself? Or is he going to run home and you know, sell it to some memorabilia collector? And you wonder you know, how many other Yankees are 
going to be uh, offered money to go, hey, grab something from the locker room. I mean, look, if you're getting a 10-foot by 10-foot slab of carpet for $10,000, imagine some of the other things that you could uh, grab from in there. I wonder how much George Steinbrenner's desk would go for. <laughs> I wouldn't want it. That thing's cursed. Well, it was in Seinfeld, too, I think. Oh. Isn't, didn't uh, Costanza hide under there at one point? Yeah, but that's not the real. Come <laughs> I on now, now Berger, not that gullible. <laughs> I know. No, but it's interesting. And speaking of the Yankees' offices, in January and February, that's when they'll start moving across the street to the new offices. And, uh, you know, again, there's going to be a final celebration for the staff and for the Yankees. That's scheduled for November 9th. I'm happy to see that the last game in Yankee Stadium was a Yankee game because there was talk for a long time, if you remember, about an NHL hockey game taking place there on New Year's. And it's now going to be, I believe, at Wrigley Field instead of Yankee Stadium. But it just wouldn't have been fitting if a hockey game was the last event in Yankee Stadium. I don't know, Brian, though. You just said at the beginning of this segment that Yankee Stadium was more of a venue just as much as it was a baseball field. But I'm talking about the last ever event. All right. So I agree. Yankee Stadium hosted some amazing things. I'll tell you what. If you want to read a great article, uh, this week's Sports Illustrated, cover of Sports Illustrated, talks about Yankee Stadium. And Tom Verducci writes a story as if uh, the story is being told by Yankee Stadium. And this is my life. And this is these are all the events that have taken place here. These are the amazing parts of um, this venue. It's a really cool story. I like the way he wrote it. It was very clever. But if you want to learn about the history of Yankee Stadium, read that story in this week's Sports Illustrated by Tom Verducci. It was very, very good. All right, coming up in our next segment, Brandy Chastain, former soccer star. She was the star who won the U.S. Women's World Cup for the U.S. team against China in 1999. We remember that penalty kick, and she ripped her shirt off, revealing the Nike sports bra that went on to sell like hotcakes. She's going to be racing in the ING 2008 New York City Marathon. She's taking part of a really cool initiative that we'll discuss. We're also going to discuss just the growth of women's sports in general. That's coming up next. Brandy Chastain. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Brandy Chastain. She's a former soccer player, and she most recently served as a soccer analyst for NBC's Olympic broadcast coverage. 
Brandy played for the U.S. women's national soccer team from 1991 to 2004. Brandy, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Brandy, on Sunday, November 2nd, you're partnering with ING as an ambassador for the ING Run for Something Better campaign. That's part of the 2008 ING New York City Marathon. Tell us more about this partnership, if you would. Well, look, gosh, there's a, there's a lot of statistics and a lot of numbers. And I want to start with what I think is an amazing number, which is over 30,000 children have participated in Run for Something Better programs, and they've logged over a million miles. Uh, ING has also donated over a million dollars and has committed to do so uh, through 2010 to reach that two million mark. And uh, what that means to me uh, on a personal level is that they're committed to not only what their business does, but that they're really committed to the community and and the greater good. So when they approached me to run the marathon, um, I decided to say yes for three reasons. One, on a personal level, the challenge, as you said, you know, I'm a competitive soccer player, and, you know, that competitive edge uh, never leaves you. So this is a wonderful opportunity for me to challenge myself. Two, I run my own nonprofit out in the Bay Area in California called the Bay Area Women's Sports Initiative, and the whole program is based on role models and mentors going out to playgrounds and helping young girls recognize how important it is to be active and what it can do for your life off the playing field you know, the playground or the playing field. And then lastly, the cause, Run for Something Better. Uh, When I I learned about the program and how many kids are getting involved and really what um, the program is trying to do, I thought, you know, this this fits in line with what I I feel is necessary for every young kid in this country. So, um, you know, joining the team, wearing the orange shirt, you know, wearing the laces in my sneakers for the race, um, you know, promoting the website orangelaces.com forward slash NYC is an easy fit for me. You know, people who make a donation of $10 or more can get a pair of laces, can join the team, can feel good that they know that they're impacting somebody's, a, a young kid's life in a positive way. Well, I think it's a great thing you're doing. You know, one of the things we've talked about on our show, and I've seen it uh, with some of the work that I've done, is childhood obesity. I mean, it's a major problem in our country, and I think initiatives like the one you're talking about are tremendous. Well, we we have a significant uphill battle. I mean, like you said, I think it's it's on the rise. It's like 33% of of youngsters, and I'm talking toddlers, um, are are considered to be in the obese category, and that just makes my heart ache. Um, There's significant things that we can do as adults um, uh, to, to improve you know, the health and wellness of our kids. And one is being good role models and being active ourselves because our kids imitate the things that we do. And so as a parent, I know that to be true. And now as somebody who runs a nonprofit, I know that to be true. So participating in the marathon to help young, to help encourage young kids to be active was a no-brainer for me. I'm joined by former soccer star Brandy Chastain. Brandy, have you ever run in the New York City Marathon before? I've never run a marathon before, so this oh my gosh, know, this is a new challenge. I know, but everything I've heard from everybody who's ever run it or been on this, you know, on the sideline, so to speak, has says it's an amazing event. The adrenaline is incredible. The amount of people that come out just to cheer you on is like being in the Rose Bowl for the '99 World Cup. I mean, it's just amazing. And gosh, I mean, if there's ever a time. To be involved with something, um, this is it. So uh, I'm thrilled. 
Let's talk about the 99 World Cup. I mean, you know, your your claim to fame, one of your greatest moments, maybe the greatest moment in women's soccer history was your uh, penalty kicked 1999 FIFA Women's World Cup against China. You helped the U.S. Uh, win the title. And then you had that bra-bearing celebration afterwards that's become so recognizable Talk about that for a little bit. I mean, you know, from a sports business standpoint, I know those Nike sports bras sold like hotcakes after that. How did your life change after that event? Oh, gosh. You know, let me just go back and and, and make a quick change. And I mean, that was a really significant moment in my life and in soccer. But to be honest with you, there were so many unbelievable significant moments throughout that tournament and throughout, I think, the whole process of the the women's national team going from a one World Cup um, winner in 91 to being Olympic uh, participants, Olympic gold medalists, and then hosting this incredible event um, on a scale that nobody had ever really truly, I think, anticipated or had the nerve to dream up prior to then. Um, and, and, and the people involved were just truly amazing from the top to the bottom. So, um, you know, I, I'm just really incredibly lucky to have been involved with such amazing women, um, a coaching staff, a federation that got the big picture and, and put the whole event together. Um, you know, I, it's still for me is just, it was an amazing time, but I, I think, you know, we've gone forward and say, okay, what, what have we done from that moment forward? And how have we impacted people's lives in a positive way? And I think, you know, it leads each one of us as individuals to things such as the ING run for something better. I mean, we're all out there looking for ways to use what we've learned and experienced on the soccer field to benefit um, young kids in our own community. So, you know, this marathon is is, uh, going to be difficult. I'm, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be, I'm sure at some point, I'm going to be questioning what the heck it is I'm doing out there. <laughs> but I know when I cross that finish line, just as when I kick that penalty kick, there's going to be an amazing amount of joy, satisfaction, relief, um, and just wonder and awe about what it is that I just accomplished. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped about it. I'm joined by former soccer star Brandy Chastain. Brandy, just a few more questions. Okay. Um, you know, I'm of the opinion, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think in the United States, women's soccer is more popular than men's soccer. I know from my standpoint, I recognize the women's players more than I recognize the men's players, and I'd rather sit down and watch a women's game. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I'd rather watch a women's game than a men's game. Um, and I think you guys opened the door to that. And for sponsorships and so many of the things that we see, we have this new Women's Professional Soccer League I see that's going to debut in April of 2009. Maybe talk about the growth of the popularity of women's soccer in the United States. And you guys laid the, the groundwork. Well, we're, oh, I, I'm not so sure if we laid the groundwork, but we we built upon a foundation that was pretty solid from the beginning, which was uh, – Due to people like Billie Jean King fighting for, um, you know, opportunity to participate on the playgrounds and on the playing fields uh, across this country. And with the enacting of Title IX in 1972, that opened the door. That uh, that gave um, young girls an opportunity to re- uh, attain scholarships, to go to universities, to participate in sports like men have been doing, you know, for years and years and years before us. So. Uh, I think what ended up happening is, you know, Title IX came at, at a time uh, and soccer came along just thereafter, um, and we kind of hit it at the beginning. 
and which is different for our men. You know, they're a little bit behind in terms of how long uh, they've been participating on the on the national team level, and so it's hard to really, in my opinion, to compare men's and women's soccer. They're both unique. They're both very special. They both have amazing athletes and and qualities that um, are are their own. So um, it's hard for me to try to hear when people want to compare them, although I understand it. Uh, I, I, I just don't think it, it's um, legitimate, to be quite fair. Um, I think our national team pool on the men's side has, been, has never been as deep as it is now. We have quality players playing not only in our own domestic league but around the world. Um, you know, with the, the emergence of our, you know, the WPS coming in, in April of 2009, which I'm really excited about. I'm hoping, you know, lace up my cleats and put on a uniform and be out there again. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think we struck uh, at the right time and we're fortunate um, to have a system here in the United States that allowed young women to participate. And um, I think for that reason, we're eternally grateful for people like Billie Jean King. I agree with everything you just said, and the one thing I think you're giving yourself not enough credit on, you and your teammates, is that at the time when, um, in 1999, you guys were so cooperative with the media, you were so cooperative in the community, and you saw that your sport needed to be promoted, and you went out there and you did those things. There's a lot of other athletes and other sports and other genders, quite frankly, that don't get out there and promote their sport and do things in the community as well as you guys did. And I think that was uh, that's something for you guys to be commended on. Well, I, I will say that there is a significant amount of ownership that went into the women's national team and also the WUSA, which now has folded, but and also now the upcoming and emerging WPS. When you start something from a seed, or maybe even just an idea, um, you know, you want to build something, it becomes yours, and you do take that re- responsibility and that ownership. When something exists, when it's, when it's semi-easy, um, you know, so to speak, I know the, the athletes that you're talking about work incredibly hard. I've met them. I know them. Um, they're very dedicated to what they do, and they're incredibly talented. Um, but there was a, so much uh, ownership in, in uh, what was at stake that I think everybody took it to heart and that they knew that their role was just beyond kicking the ball on the field. So I think that it made it that significantly special to the, the participants as well as to everybody who came to the stadium. They felt that they were involved in the process as well, and it was a very inclusive group as opposed to an exclusive group. I saw the documentary that HBO did on you guys. Yeah, uh, they a few did a years. nice job. Didn't it was great, and you know, I really felt like I was there, and and I got <laughs> to know your team on and off the field. I just thought it was tremendous. Last question for you: USA Today recently had a big feature on women's sports, and right. you know, I know we just talked about Title IX and Billie Jean King, but in your opinion, how are we doing with our initiatives with developing women's sports in this country? Oh, well, you know, again, I'll go back to I think Title IX and Billie Jean King have set a precedent for what it is we think the standard should be, and in some cases we're not there, in some cases we are. Um, but I think they've given us a significant amount of um, leadership to go in the right direction. Um, I think in terms of how do we compare uh, on the world stage, you know, it's apparent when we look at, you know, when we let's just go to the Olympics. I mean, we look at basketball, we look at softball, we look at gymnastics, we look at soccer. I mean, here we are, we have all these female athletes, um, 
not only aspiring to do great things, but doing great things. And so we've, we're doing something incredibly right. Um, I, I think there's a lot of different um, ideas and philosophies on what we need to do in the future. Uh, I think we need to preserve the idea uh, uh, and the integrity of teamwork and that it, uh, inclusiveness that I was talking about earlier. Uh, I don't want to lose the um, the essence of what started you know, the movement and what has made women's and women in sports so great. Um, but I think there's also significant uh, room for us to make inroads in, you know, earning living wages as professional athletes. And I find it significant because of all the lessons that I learned playing soccer truly translate to life. Um, you know, in a boardroom, uh, I can always pick out the athletes, males or females, those who aren't afraid to speak their mind, those who aren't afraid to work in teams, those who aren't afraid to take leadership roles, those who understand that sometimes they also have to be support systems. Um, these are the types of things that um, we will be teaching young kids when they participate and run for something better. We're going to teach them all those skills, and they get them kind of um, – covertly because they're not things that we write down on a chalkboard. They're not things that we're drilling into their head. They learn those things by being active and participating and, and by being a part of a team. And that's why, again, I think that for people who say, well, I'm not a runner, how can I be involved? That's why I say go to orangelaces.com forward slash NYC Make a donation of $10 or more. Get your laces on. Join the team. You know, even if it's you're giving high fives to encourage somebody else to do it, you're making a significant contribution. And I think it's that contribution that we're seeing in, in women's sports that is making the difference. Well, Brandy, you're an inspiration and a champion to women and, and young ladies everywhere, and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us on Sports Business Radio. It has been my pleasure, and thank you for giving uh, ING and Run for Something Better and the New York City Marathon the time to spread this message because, as you said earlier, we have an epidemic. Kids are uh, more obese than they've ever been. Uh, we need to get um, our young ones on track early because as soon as we do, they will live ha happier, healthier, and fitter lives. Hey, and Brandy, what's your website for your initiative in the Bay Area? Uh, you can go to... Bossy, which is spelled B-A-W-S-I dot org. Uh, we are Bossy Girls on the Playground, so please check us out. It's a wonderful uh, program out in the Bay Area that we hope at one point can grow and be as big as Run for Something Better. Thanks for joining us, Brandy. All right, you take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. 
Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, ESPN this week announced that it will air the College Hoops tip-off marathon, a made-for-TV stunt to give college basketball a sort of round-the-clock opening day. The event will begin just past midnight Eastern time on Tuesday, November 18th with the UMass Memphis men's basketball game. ESPN's TV platforms will air a string of games involving 15 conferences headlined by Kentucky, North Carolina at 9 p.m. Eastern time. That won't end until past midnight Eastern time. Nathan, you know, a lot of people talk about college basketball really doesn't have any meaning until after the first of the year and really picks up steam, obviously, at March Madness. I think this is a cool way to start the season. 15 conferences get involved, and I think if they can make a tradition of this, it will be really a good way for uh, people to focus some attention on the beginning of the college basketball season. Well, and look at who you've got. I mean, Kentucky, North Carolina, we always associate the beginning of the season with, you know, Kentucky playing, you know, some Chemeketa Community College. But this is an actually good game right here, right off the, the gates. Chemeketa Community? Where is that? Chemeketa is in southern Oregon. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I that's, never. That's I didn't know they had Salem. a basketball team. That's right. Chemeketa Community College, the University of Portland head you coach. You did your there. research on that. That's Barry. what I do, Brian. Hey, it was great to catch up with Brandy Chastain. Uh, good insight from her. Again, orangelaces.com. Check out the initiative for the 2008 uh, ING New York City Marathon. Brandy Chastain and actually Carrie Shrug uh, will be uh, taking part in that as well. Thank you to our guests, Brandy Chastain, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous week, and we will talk to you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>